Hello, and welcome back to the Braxton Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Gidding. This week on Campfire Stories, Chapter 13, I Am With You. So let's go get that campfire started, and we'll nestle in for a good story. The Kings of Braxton, Born Unto Trouble, Chapter 13, I Am With You. One. Mayor Hartford had just arrived at his home office, along with Steve and Jake. It was still early in the day. They spoke of politics as they took their usual seats around the mayor's desk. The mayor poured each man a glass of whiskey. Appoint our own agents? As long as the feds stay out of Braxton, I'm willing to go along with that plan, the mayor said. Well... That's what I hear from my people in D.C., Jake said proudly. The men were discussing a plan to help the feds focus their attention on bigger cities to the north and south of Braxton. They hoped that it might keep them from lingering in town too long and realizing that Braxton was still a wet town. Well, let's get the ball rolling on. The mayor was interrupted when his office door flew open and Marcus stormed in, followed by John and Al. The men in the office flinched at the racket as Marcus stormed over to the mayor and slammed his hands on the desk, causing the mayor and Steve to both slide backward in their chairs. "'What in hell's fire's the meaning of this?' the mayor yelled. "'We found Frankie,' John said as he walked to the right side of the desk. The mayor relaxed just a bit and adjusted himself in his chair. Well, good, but what gives you the right to come storming in here like a bull in a china shop? We also found out who's pulling the strings, Marcus added. And? Jake interjected. Al glanced over at Jake, who was scared but trying not to show it. Who is it? the mayor asked. The sheriff. Al replied evenly. What? The mayor was flabbergasted. That's absurd. You have bad information. Oh, right. Our mistake, John smarted off. Our information is our own eyes, Marcus said as he leaned in toward the mayor. Al limped closer to the desk with the aid of his cane, and Marcus walked to the left side of the desk, blocking in the mayor. Do you really think we would accuse your son without cause? Al asked. Steve looked at his boss, then over at Jake, who was trying to hide a grin. He set us up last night and killed two of his own officers, John explained. What was last night? I talked to him about six or seven o'clock and he said nothing to me, the mayor said. We found Frankie, John began. We planned a raid on the hideout, but Junior informed Frankie and led us into a trap. Then he and Frankie grabbed Neil and hightailed it out of there. Ha! Jake laughed as he stood. Some heroes your boys are. They couldn't even find a spy in their own inner... I'll punch Jake in the face hard enough to break his nose and knock him unconscious. He fell back in the chair with a loud thud. 
Steve flinched and the mayor slid his chair back a bit more. What's the game here, Jackson? Al asked, his longtime friend. Steve backed himself against the wall in fear. John noticed and gave him a hard stare. Then he looked back at the mayor and put his hand on his gun. Marcus did the same. Wait, wait, wait! I don't know nothing about this. I'm not sure I can even believe it, the mayor said in a shaky voice. He didn't have time to process this information, and he was trying to understand it. John handed the mayor his whiskey, which the mayor drank in one gulp. But he was shot at the restaurant. If he was involved, how... Why did he get shot? The mayor grasped at straws. He was shot while knocking Liz to the ground, Marcus began. Either it was part of the plan or an accident while trying to be the hero. Whatever the case... Junior was behind everything from the beginning, Marcus said. Why would he do this? It doesn't make any sense. He's the sheriff, the mayor wondered out loud. John took a seat on the corner of the mayor's desk and poured himself a drink, along with another one for the mayor. Jake came too just then and started to stand, but using his cane, Al pushed him back to his seat. You either stay there and quietly bleed, or you get the hell out of here. I'm done taking your shit, Jake. I don't care who you know in Washington, and I don't care about the Council either. The Council was the semi-secret group of people who ran everything in town. It was made up of the descendants of the four founding families, with the exception of the Kings, who left the Council while Jeffrey was still alive. Jake was wide-eyed and too terrified to move. He knew that Al would hurt him if he spoke out again. You know what we're telling you is true, Jackson. I can see it in your face. Al was right, of course. The mayor was going over the events of the last month, and things that didn't make any sense were now beginning to fall into place. The traps the brothers kept falling into. The man in the jail who died conveniently right before the kings could question him. If it is like you say, maybe I can talk to him, the mayor suggested. Marcus chuckled and John pounded his fist on the desk. He's the man behind a mass murder, kidnappings, drugs, and who knows what else, John began. Do you really think talking to him is going to make him stop and just turn himself in? The time for talking is over, Marcus hissed. You do need to be talking to somebody, but it's not your son, Al added. Two. Sam woke up in his bedroom in the farmhouse that afternoon. The window was open to allow fresh air in. He was in too much pain to move. Liz was sitting on the bed next to him with a cool rag in her hand. Sam looked up at her, then around the room, as if searching for someone or something. How long was I out? He asked as he tried to move again. Not long enough. A day and a half. Lie down and rest. You can't do any good if you can't move. 
and I can't. He tried to move, but the pain got the best of him. But I have to get to Neil. Sam sat up a bit, fighting through the pain, but could not make it all the way. Aw, you're sweet and brave and strong and manly and that's all great, but lay your butt back down and rest before I have to tie you down, Liz demanded. Sam looked at her with a raised eyebrow, then relaxed and did as he was told. He looked up and saw Carol standing in the doorway. He tried to speak to her, but she left before he could get a word out. She hates me, doesn't she? No. She's just scared, and so am I, Liz replied as she wiped sweat from Sam's forehead. I can't lay here all day. I gotta get up. Sam ground the words out past his pain. You need to heal first, Sam. I've been in this situation before. I need to get up. I have to make this right. He again fought the pain and this time sat up. Wincing, he tried to control his breathing. Liz grabbed a glass of whiskey from the nightstand and handed it to Sam, who slugged it down quickly. Liz laughed. It's for easing the pain, not for getting drunk. Sam handed the glass back to Liz and examined his wounds. Carol walked out onto the front porch for some fresh air. The anguish and uncertainty was getting to her, and she needed to breathe. She didn't know what to do with herself or what to do with Sam. She only knew that this was her worst nightmare, something that had worried her for too many years. In her right hand, she held an old revolver with a cracked wooden grip. Her finger was on the trigger, but she didn't really know why she had it. In her left hand, she held her wedding photo in its simple wooden frame. It was the only good photo she had of Neil. She paced back and forth on the porch, raising and lowering the revolver, aiming it at whatever happened to be in front of her. She paused as she noticed Boom over by the barn, watching her with concern. She lifted the gun in his direction, but he didn't flinch. He knew Carol was in pain, and that he was not in any danger. He walked over to her and stopped near the porch. She kept the revolver pointed at him. If you're gonna shoot me, Carol, shoot me. Otherwise, put that thing down. Boom said, knowing she would never shoot him. Carol lowered the gun in disgrace. She didn't know what she was thinking. I'm sorry, Boom, she said as she handed him the revolver. He took the gun and placed it in his waistband, then took a step onto the porch. Word got around, Carol. I know what happened last night, and I'm dreadful sorry for you. Carol looked down at the photo in her hand, then also handed it to Boom. I love him. I live for him, she said through the tears. Boom looked at the photo and returned it. I love him too, he began. You kings are the only family I have here. 
Neil and Sam saved my ass more times than I care to admit. And I have faith in Sam. I know he'll go out there and get Neil, bring him back here to your loving arms. You mustn't worry yourself sick, Carol. Just have faith. I don't know what to do, Boom. I just want him back. I know. So do I. Sam will make that happen. And if need be, I will do anything I can to help. Sam is part of the problem. He was supposed to bring him back last night. Carol yelled loud enough for Sam to hear through the open window upstairs. Sam looked over at Liz, Jason, and saddened. Don't listen to her. She's just scared, Liz said. No, she's right. I am part of the problem. But Neil is the other part. Sam reached over to the nightstand and grabbed his pipe and tobacco pouch. He moaned as he moved. We can't help what we are, Liz. And she knows that. She's been with us long enough, since the beginning. Before the beginning, in fact, he said as he loaded the pipe. He lit the pipe while listening to Carol continue to rant about him to boom. Liz walked over to the window and closed it. You need to worry about yourself, Sam. Ignore her right now, she said as she returned to the bed. Sam was more worried about Carol than he was about Neil. He knew Junior wasn't stupid enough to kill him. Carol had been pulling away from Sam since the brothers went back to their old ways and started looking into the massacre. Sam saw it from the first day, but he chose to ignore it because the people of Braxton needed them. As Sam adjusted himself in the bed, there was a knock at the door. It's open, Sam said. Boom walked in. How you doing, Sam? You healing up proper? I'll be right as rain in no time. And how's the little miss doing? Boom asked Liz. I'm doing okay, Boom. Thanks. I'll let you two talk, she said as she stood. Boom nodded his head as Liz passed him. Then he took a seat on the edge of the bed. Anything I can do for you, Sammy boy? Boom asked. Not that I can think of. I just have to get right so I can get out there and find my brother. Sam took a swig of his whiskey. If you need me, I'm here for you. I'll pick up a gun and do my part. Sam looked at Boom and took another swig of his whiskey. He wasn't willing to ask Boom to fight for him. Boom saw more action than he wanted to. Between the Easter Rebellion in Ireland and the war... And he'd made a pledge to himself that he would never again shed the blood of another person. The last battle his unit was in was the bloodiest of the war. But it was never heard about because peace was declared the day before. In that one battle, Boom was responsible for 43 deaths. He was usually the explosives man, but in this battle, he had been a sniper. In all... Boom estimated he'd killed nearly 200 people, soldiers and civilians, during his lifetime. 
I can't ask you to do that, Sam said before he took another swig. You're not. I'm offering, Boom replied. I've left you out of this up to this point, and I'd like to keep it that way. I respect the fact that you gave up the fight after the war, and I'm not going to be the one to bring you back. Sam said as he closed his eyes and held his breath, waiting for the pain to subside. Are you sure, Sammy? Boom asked. You two have been so good to me. I have no problem getting back in for you. And for him. You have welcomed me into your family. And trusted me with your farm. It's the least I can do. Sam puffed on his pipe. You know, Carol don't like you smoking in her house, Boom asserted. It's my house. Mine and Neil's. She already hates me, so what's the harm? Sam was feeling the effects of the whiskey. It was Boom's secret recipe, and it was strong. And Sam chugged more whiskey. If you really want to help me out, you can keep an eye on Liz and Carol the next few days, as all this plays out. Of course. You don't have to ask that. It's a done deal. And you can help me out of this bed. I don't think that one's such a good idea, Sammy boy. Sam refilled his glass from the jar on the nightstand, pushed the sheets off himself, and looked at Boom with intent. Boom knew there was no changing Sam's mind, so he gave him a hand and helped him to his feet. You good there? Boom asked as Sam stumbled a bit. Good, Sam grunted. He took a step forward, leaning on Boom for support. After a few steps, Sam was able to steady himself. Can you hand me that shirt? He asked, pointing to a shirt that looked as though it had been left on the floor for a week. Boom handed him the shirt and helped him get his arms in. The shirt was wrinkled and smelled a bit musty, but Sam didn't care. He pulled his suspenders over his shoulders with Boom's help, then, he grabbed the jar of moonshine, and the two slowly made their way downstairs and into the sitting room. "'What the hell is this?' Liz demanded angrily. Boone just looked at her with innocent eyes as he stepped back from Sam, who was now sitting on the couch that faced the front doorway. Sam hesitated to answer Liz. He just puffed on his pipe and buttoned his shirt." I asked you a question, Samuel King. Boom looked at Sam for a reaction, but he just took another swig of shine. You're beautiful when you're angry, Sam said. His speech was slurring. I'm going to kill you if you don't put that smelly thing out, Carol yelled from the front doorway. Sam looked over to Carol and puffed on his pipe. I love you, Carol. And I respect you more than any other woman on this earth. But this is my house. And if I want to smoke my damn pipe right now, I will. Sam coughed loudly, causing some pain. I understand you're pissed, scared, terrified, and any other descriptive you can think of. But your husband didn't come home last night and it's my fault. My brother was taken right in front of my eyes 
and there wasn't a damn thing I could do about it. And it was my fault. I'm gonna do whatever the hell I want to do right now, so shut up. Carol stormed off in tears. Liz walked over to Sam, who was fighting back tears and losing. She looked deeply into his watering eyes. She had never heard him speak to Carol with such anger before. Sam was obviously too drunk or in too much pain to care, if not both. I told you to stay in bed. I don't need you getting worse, and you don't need to talk to Carol that way. I love that you care about me so much, Liz, but I'm not worth your time. Leave me alone. Go home. Find a nice man who deserves to be loved by you. Liz was shocked. Her eyes grew big as she slapped Sam as hard as she could. You have no right, she yelled as she slapped him again and stormed out. I have every right, he said sharply to himself. Sam was hitting the whiskey pretty hard, trying to fight not just physical pain, but also mental pain. Liz stopped by the entryway and turned back to Sam. She shook her head and walked to the kitchen. Sam winced in pain as he took another swig. I'll just let you be, Sammy, Boone said reluctantly. He walked out of the room, leaving Sam to drink alone. Sam looked around and noticed that he was alone. He broke down and let the tears flow. The past month has been just too hard on him, and he couldn't take it any longer. He was hearing the cries of wounded soldiers, innocent women, children, and seeing the faces of the villagers in Santi. Sam saw a vision of himself covered in blood standing by the window, and he spat at it. Who do you think you are? Why don't you just leave me the hell alone? The vision didn't speak. It only stared at Sam and shook his head reproachfully. Sam was shaking from the pain and the fear as he saw a vision of a little girl he'd held inside the church at Santi. You're dead. I killed you. Sam paused at the thought of his own words. Why did I kill you? He cried out. Liz and Carol sat in the kitchen listening to Sam's ranting. Liz cried as she listened, while Carol was stone-faced. Liz stood to go to Sam's side, but was stopped by Carol. No, Carol said. This has been reaching a boiling point for a long time. Let him fight it out. Confront his demons. He needs this right now. Liz sat back down and buried her face in her hands. This is the bottom for him. Maybe he'll learn to live with himself after this, Carol added. Why does he torture himself like this? Liz asked. He tortures himself to feel the fear and pain that Neil might be going through. Neil did the same when Sam went missing. Sam went missing? I didn't know about that, but he hasn't told me many stories. Sam was about fifteen, maybe sixteen. 
He thought it was a good idea to follow some guys out of town to find their hideout. And these weren't the kind of guys you want to run into in a dark alley. Or even a bright one. They were black hand types. Like Mafia? Liz asked in shock. Sam didn't care who they were. He just wanted them out of Braxton. Carol paused to take a sip of shine and hold back a tear. The tear wasn't for Sam, but for the thought that this might be Neil. He was found two weeks later, bloody, beaten. His collarbone was broken in two places, and he had four broken ribs. Liz looked toward the sitting room where Sam continued to scream at his demons. To this day, nobody knows what happened or how he got away. He was found about two miles from here in the road. He's never talked about it? Liz asked. No. We didn't press it. We figured it had to be pretty bad for him. During the two weeks he was gone, Neil pushed everyone away, yelled and snapped at anyone trying to help him, and took off alone constantly to look for him. This was just a short time before you met them. They're connected, aren't they? Liz asked. Yes, but not like normal brothers. Their trauma at such a young age bonded them forever. It's almost like with twins. They can feel each other's pain. It's almost like they are together even when they're apart. The women sat and listened to Sam's battle rage on in the next room until he passed out from pain and possibly too much whiskey. 3. Later that day, Sam woke and sat up as Al limped into the house followed by the mayor. The sun was just hitting the horizon and the room was glowing a sharp red. The two men went to the sitting room where Sam was on the couch. His head was pounding and his entire body throbbed with pain. He looked at the mayor angrily pinched the empty pipe between his teeth and stood up slowly and unsteadily. You son of a bitch, he muttered. You have a lot of nerve coming here. Let him speak his piece, Sam, Al said quietly. The mayor walked in and sat down on the couch nervously. Al stood near the doorway, leaning on his cane. I'm sorry about Neil, but you have to believe that I had no idea Junior was involved in this, the mayor said. Involved? Sam scoffed. He's the one pulling the strings. He is this. Sam walked over to the window unsteadily and opened it to let the breeze in. Next to the window sat his mother's old record player, and Sam turned it on lifted the needle, and set it down gently. After a moment of hissing, the music began. Come Sweet Death by Bach. The record was old and scratchy, but the haunting sound carried throughout the house. I want to help you get Junior and Frankie, the mayor said. I want them to pay for this. This evil that they brought to Braxton. The mayor paused, waiting for a reaction, 
But Sam just stood silently looking out the window and listening to the music. After some time, he spoke softly. When my mother killed herself, this record was playing. It's kind of ironic that this was the particular song that was playing when we found her body laying in the kitchen. A song about death. You were at my parents' funeral with Junior. Even Frankie and his father were there. Your son was with us through most of our lives. There was a moment of silence as the mayor waited for him to continue. Sam turned and looked at the mayor. I'm going to kill your son. And I'm going to make sure it's painful. And I'm going to make sure that he looks me in the eye when I do it. The mayor could see the unbridled rage in Sam's face and knew that Sam meant every word of what he'd just said. Al inhaled sharply, then exhaled with a loud sigh. It was almost a sign of acceptance for Sam. That's not necessary, the mayor began, his voice cracking. He needs to pay for what he is... It is more than necessary, Mr. Mayor, Sam interrupted. I will kill your son. Make peace with that. And get the hell out of this house. Kill Frankie, I don't care, but... You can't kill my boy. I won't let you hurt my boy, the mayor pleaded. You don't have a say in this, Mr. Hartford. Your son killed too many people for me to let him go, Sam replied calmly, an icy veneer barely concealing his anger. He didn't do it, Frankie. He arranged it. He was in charge. He was the mastermind. Jackson dies, Sam roared. The mayor flinched in his seat then sat quietly, trying to find the words to convince Sam to let his son live. Tears streamed down his pale cheeks. Al limped over to his old friend and put a hand on his shoulder. The mayor knew at that point there was no way to convince Sam, and Al knew it too. The mayor rose and left the room, followed by Al. The two stopped at the doorway, and the mayor looked at Al. He's my boy. Right or wrong, he's my blood. He's all I have left. He's Carol's blood, too. How does she feel about this? What do you think she feels about it? Your boy has her husband. The mayor blanched, then turned and walked out of the house and across the porch. He paused for a moment but then continued to his car and drove away. Sam stood at the window and watched the mayor leave. The record player stopped, leaving Sam in complete silence. Al turned and stared at Sam for a moment, then retired to his room. Sam turned his attention to a figure on the porch. He couldn't make out who it was but he could see that it was wearing an army uniform. The figure turned around and revealed himself to Sam. There was Harry Bradley, 
the young private who had fought alongside him and died at Santee. Harry looked at Sam with sad eyes. He looks good for a dead guy, Sam thought to himself. He wasn't your responsibility, Sam, a hallucination of himself said from behind. His visions had grown worse since he woke earlier. They talked to him now, and he talked back. Sam was hitting his breaking point, and he knew it. None of them are your responsibility, the vision continued. Harry faded as he turned away from Sam. After staring for a moment longer, Sam returned to the couch. Your brother is not your responsibility either, the hallucination continued. Sam looked to the doorway, where he saw the little girl standing next to Harry. Behind them was a group of people he had seen throughout his life, some from the church, some from lefties, and others from multiple fights both in the war and at home. Tears rolled down Sam's cheeks. I killed you all, didn't I? I'm sorry. I tried to be a good man. I tried to help everyone. I just wanted the world to be a better place. But I can't make that happen. Fight them, little brother. Neil's voice screamed from inside Sam's head. Fight them. Sam couldn't hold back any longer. He fell to his knees and cried out in a scream for his brother. Neil! He roared at the top of his lungs. I'm sorry, brother. Hear me. I am with you. I will find you. I will free you. And I will avenge you. Sam felt drained of energy. Felt like he had just reopened every wound he'd ever had and was bleeding from every pore in his body. He fell to the floor and just lay there. Unable to move. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I hope you enjoyed chapter 13. Join me next week for chapter 14, Following Orders. If you like what you're hearing, please share this show with others. Also, if you're interested, you can hop over to Amazon.com and buy The Kings of Braxton, born under trouble. And thank you very much for stopping by.